Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I'm Don Povia, joined, as always, by Kyle Bunch. Uh, usually a little bit of banter. We're back. We're two weeks in a row. We're back on schedule. Uh, so let's get right to it. We are joined this week by a legend. A legend. And we don't throw that term around too much, but uh, glad to finally get, get him on here. I would say about 75% of our guests have mentioned something about Spencer uh, over the uh, over the last uh, 20 episodes that we've done. Uh, and, so and well, probably about half of those, him getting iced in Chicago. Uh, yeah. Wrigley Field. Can't get away from that or something to do with, I don't know, Jason McIntyre at that same event. But welcome to the show, Spencer Hall, also known as Orson Swindle. Back in the day for you old heads out there, Spencer, welcome. Hey, thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been with us uh, from the beginning, and I just want to say, you know, first and foremost, we appreciate that he was at the first one out in New York, sight unseen, coming out to New York for this blogger convention. What what drove you out there? How do we convince you? Um, boredom. Uh, you can usually get me somewhere if I'm bored, so that was really the key. Also, there was the sort of morbid curiosity about seeing what other people who did this look like, and I wasn't disappointed. Uh, that seems pretty fair and accurate about, I think, why we did it to begin with is like, oh, we all talk to each other. Let's see what <laughs> we're really like. And I think it's worked out pretty nicely. Spencer then came out to uh, uh, Vegas. We did Chicago. That that Vegas uh, panel, I think it was you, Skeets. Was Delario on that? Uh, Delario was there, yeah. Yeah, he was there. Matram, Matram was on that. I think we had like a, a little all-star panel. Also did the uh, South by Southwest event that we did and so forth. I mentioned Orson Swindle. Let's start with that because I've mentioned to you, and I think I've showed you pictures. I've actually met the actual Orson Swindle, uh, not mm-hmm. to take away from your Orson Swindleness, but uh, wh- why'd you why'd you pull that moniker? I've always used that as my alternate name if I have to sign something and I don't want to put my real name because I remember being in high school and seeing Ross Perot running for president and you know, that was already pretty ridiculous. And then his communications director, the guy who is his PR man is named Orson Swindle. And I was like, finally, finally, we have an honest politician, like somebody who's just straight up like, yeah, you're not getting an actual answer here. Look at my name. So I actually interviewed Orson Swindle when I was an intern. I think it was like around 99, 2000 in DC. He was either an FTC or an FCC commissioner at the time. FT, uh, it was it, that was an that was an FTC boy because I had the experience with the two, and I got his whole I got his whole story, his whole resume. Yeah, fascinating dude. Right, and, and then I'm reading uh, McCain's uh, autobiography, and I guess Orson Swindle was also a naval officer and was mm-hmm. the one that told. I guess when when McCain was coming home, Orson Swindle was the uh, the guy that let his wife know, you know, how to prepare for that. And then I meet Spencer Hall with the name Orson Swindle. I'm like, well, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, who is not that guy? Like, like <laughs> I chose I chose a moniker of a dude who is like the opposite of me in every way. But we talked we talked very briefly, and uh, he was okay with it. Like, you know, I was like, oh man, listen, you tell me like. I'm using your name as a pseudonym. You just go ahead and tell me. I make it really clear that it's not you. You know, I don't think anyone could mistake us like for anything, right? Like even relatives, like there's no way we could be related. Like we just do not think anything close to the same way. And he's like, no, no, it's cool. He's like, just be <laughs> careful. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, at Blogs of Balls 1, when, when we met, uh, 
uh, Harold, Harold Reynolds, one of the things he told me is I kind of screw up his Google alerts because anytime Hugging Harold Reynolds would post the post, uh, he would get a Google alert for his name. So uh, there is that. Um, yeah. But forget enough about Orson Swindle. Let's talk about Spencer Hall. So Spencer, uh, Every Day Should Be Saturday about 15 years ago. Is that is that 2005, so 16, yeah. 16 years ago, um, you know, one of the bigger, larger, certainly the most intelligent college football blog out there, uh, flying independently for a bit. Um, how long did that last before you got scooped up? I believe that was, uh, let's see, 09? Yeah, 09 was when we did that. So uh, ended up selling into the SB Nation network, which then became, you know, Box Media around 09. So had to like did that and then um i think final post on eds this was uh 20 to start the 2019 no 20 yeah 2019 season i believe was the final post so a 15 year run on a blog which i think is um i'm just gonna say that's a world record i don't think i don't think we need to like you know go check the record books because i'm obviously real reliable but i don't think anybody's kept up a blog for 15 years before let's talk about the conception. Um, you know, what was the idea? What do you think, uh, when you came into it, uh, what were you trying to achieve from it? Was it just an outlet for your writing or did you have some grand vision? Oh, there was no grand vision. Like there was no, no, like the idea of having a plan was, was anathema. It was just a creative outlet. It was just being bored and writing about college football in a way that I don't think, you know, I tried to wade into online through message boards and eventually people on message boards were like, you know, you're, this is too weird. You guys, you gotta go do something else. And I was like, well, I guess I have to start my own. So that's how I ended up here. the I mean, the message boards at the time probably still are like 60, 70% just recruiting and recruiting rumors and like fan fiction, I guess is what a lot of that recruiting kind of content becomes like elegant storytelling around why some guy is going to choose your school is going to go to Boise state. Uh, yeah. And, and then, and then like weird tribalism and like bad memes, I think is that, do you think that's a, I think that's a really, I think that's a really fair thing. And honestly, I don't think EDSBS was that much different. I just think that, uh, <laughs> we just had a different vernacular, a different vocabulary for it and maybe went a little weirder with it. And the thing was, and I think this is pretty much true of any longstanding community online that people will assume that there's nobody who does this or nobody who talks like you or sounds like you. Inevitably there is, there's somebody out there who is just as weird or just as, um, has exactly the same coordinates as you do, right? You just haven't really, you just haven't discovered them. That's it. And I think for good or bad, that's true, right? Like for me, it was, okay, yay. There's a bunch of conscientious college football fans out there. That's awesome. And then there's the downside of that, which is you're like, wow, I'm a dim-witted white supremacist. I wonder if there's any other dim-witted white supremacist out there. Well, chances are the internet allowed you to meet those people too right like that's that's for better or worse and i think that when it comes to college football coverage it was just a manner of me seeing what people had done in other disciplines and going why don't you write like that why wouldn't you you know like nobody nobody wants to write like the ap like nobody nobody wants to do that nobody and frankly not that many people want to read it day to day. 
you know? But, you know, something you said in there stands out in terms of, I mean, we've had a lot of people on here and I don't, I'm not trying to, you know, down, downgrade any of the, some of, you know, some of them who built thriving communities, but I feel like you in particular, the time you kind of came up, like everything, uh, so much galvanized around every day should be Saturday. It felt like to me. And and maybe that was, you know, like I was out there doing Trojan wire. We were, it was all of us doing like team focused things. And while you obviously had a strong Florida lean, um, uh Oh, did we lose him? No, 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 hold on. Oh, you're here. Okay. Okay. My, yeah, my I'm good. okay, good. No. Um, you know, you were, you were started to become this kind of like center of a community. You had all these people that were contributing to you in a sort of like message board way where there were, you know, LSU freak and people that would just sort of like, yeah, they've got, they're, they've got an identity and they're kind of building a brand, but they're fine to kind of have a lot of it live through what you're doing as much as any, you know? Um, so I think there's a question in there somewhere, or, you know, just around like what, what role you felt in that beyond just like the writing part, I guess, you know, or was it just right? And everybody else sort of just, it just happened organically. Yeah. I think you're happy that people should, that people showed up and then you're thrilled that some of them are really fun. And then, um, you're astounded that some of them would just become contributors. There was never any, there was never any sort of, I think people get it asked backwards. They say, well, the design is to get a user-based community and they'll come up with brilliant content and then we'll monetize that on top of ads and then we will build this community um, and then I will trade it in for a major media organization. No, like that's not, that's how somebody else thought about it. I ended up working with people and, you know, trying to pay them a little bit if I could um, to do stuff, to like have a creative outlet and to do it at a scale, which I don't think like the, the, in term like EDSBS wasn't ever a huge community by the numbers, you know, it was like a pretty small community and really like, you know, like if I said, you know, how many people are, are sort of like, how many people are your followers? Okay. Well on Twitter, I have 154,000 followers. How many of them are my followers? maybe 15 right like and they i don't think and i i returned this i don't think any of them think of i don't think any of them think of me as like the linchpin or center of the community and i don't th and i don't think of any of them as anything less than like a member of that community like i'm kind of a commie that way i don't think that you know which it helps on twitter because nobody makes money so you're like oh yeah we're actually all literally communists because we just sort of participate in this thing and don't get a dime for it um and it's oppressive and terrible. But I, I think when you go like, okay, what was the impact of that community or how, you know, the charity ball for me is like the culmination of that. Cause there's not even a website anymore for the SBS charity ball, right? Like that, that website is closed. It is defunct. And yet the charity ball went on and raised like almost 900 grand, I think, or 830 grand at this point, you know, our particular charity of choice that it's still around it just doesn't meet at a website anymore i think there's an answer somewhere in there about community and how you develop it but like that the enduring thing where you go like what is the impact and you go well there's all these people who still hang out and do stuff with each other it's just in a bunch of different formats now it, it, that that last part that second part is really interesting to me of the like how it became more diffuse which is maybe maybe good you know 
trying to not rigidly adhere to a linear story here, but Banner Society is something that I feel like was maybe the ex- starting to be the ex- bad idea in motion, right? Of like, this is more just going to live out somewhere. They're, they're sure there's a website, but it's a lot less about that. Is that kind of where you were thinking about that? I think so. I think, I think you just, uh, there's no real, there can't be a real design to it. You just have to try things and see where people living you know where you having stuff i think like one website that does a great job of that is no laying up i think no laying up is as much about everybody following along on twitter right as it is about and and going on their trips and doing all the like social stuff that they do right um it's not so much about the website it's not so much about hey we all sit in the comments beneath the posts right and after a while that i think that's great because after a while kind of community that lives in like one place tends to get pretty hierarchical, rigid, and small. You end up with like 10 people making 15,000 comments. You don't end up with 150 people each making five comments, you know, like it's not real healthy. Things can get pretty insular pretty quickly. So I, I think right now you go diffuse is a great word for it, but I don't think people should. And I do, you know, I despair and think like, Oh man, there's just, there's no, there's no sort of way to get people together anymore. There's no way to, to there's nothing that, then you realize diffuses because some people just show up, you know, a hundred thousand people get together for something on the internet and then just leave. They might just get together, do the thing and then go. And that's fine. Cause you know, that's what, that's a concert. That's a festival. <laughs> Nobody calls a festival a failure, right? It's not like people go, hey, man, Bonnaroo, it's a complete failure. It doesn't happen every day. No, no, you organize that to go off once. You know, you organize that to go off twice. And I think that's something if you're thinking about doing this and you go, well, I'm real disappointed that, you know, like today I had 150 people show up to a live stream. In the history of everything, the way that you actually interact with people, there's going to be nights where you get 150 people. That's fine. If you do it every night, one of those nights is just going to be a spike and you get like 50, like 50,000 people, right? You get a big audience. It's not a consistent thing. And I think that's, if you're a creator, you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with your enough validation of getting a big audience every single night is unhealthy. That's not going to happen. Right. You need a small core of diehards with you. You need people who are going to, you know, really like your stuff. Like John Prime's the best example of this ever. And John Prime could have signed with a major label. He could have sold the label that started to publish his stuff. He could have sold that to a major label several times for millions of dollars. And he never did because he liked managing his stuff. His people always bought his stuff. He made good money on it. And he was okay with that. And I think if you're, a lot of that's personal, but like if you're secure enough to do that and you're okay enough to sort of build your own thing, if you're patient, you know, in the end, I think you're going to be a lot better off. All right. Let's, let's stick with the, uh, with John prime there back before you were a movie star. I say, look, I'm wearing my George Jones shirt too. I was trying to match you up a little bit. Nice. Um, Good. <laughs> we got the possum going on. Like, like listen for a felt for a Philly boy. That's impressive, man. I'm a, I'm a big whaling guy. You can see whaling in my background right there. So he kind of opened up the doors. Oh, for nice. me. 
Yeah, he opened up the doors for me. Um, going back to the, those early days of the, the mid-aughts, um, you know, what you just described about community and people coming together, it seems a lot easier now. Uh, but, you know, thinking back of it again, 15 years ago, what was kind of that tipping point? You said you didn't really have a massive audience, but at some point, you know, you became, you know, what we know you as, which is, you know, really the premier, you know, I, I always said you're, you're one of the best football writers, period, forget blogger, internet, et cetera. Um, you know, what, how were you reaching out? How are you doing it beyond just the content itself? I mean, was there any, effort uh to grow that fan base and that readership or was it really all organic i think a lot of it just comes from talking to people if you're if you sort of that means like if somebody calls you for a radio spot okay you know do it you know call and like go 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 do that radio spot you know uh go talk to somebody who wants to talk to you go um go uh go to blogs with balls right answer um i i'm the iron the deep irony of me saying this is apparent to anyone who's ever tried to email me but you know a stranger emails you hey go ahead email them back you know what what's what's the worst that can happen you know that's 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 really it so when you talk about like building audiences i think i was just happy to talk to people and to get out and to sometimes get out of my comfort zone and just go do it you know, that, that's like, that's, I don't have a face for TV, but I've done TV because it scares the shit out of me. I like, it's, it's terrifying to do TV, but I did it because, you know, like doing Van Pelt, I've never been paid for Van Pelt. I do that because it's Scott, you know? Um, and initially it really scared me. And now like, that's, that's fairly routine. I think there's people who maybe would be horrified of getting on television and a pair of overalls in front of, you know, millions of people. But like one, I know nobody pays attention to anything. And two, that you'll get better at it. You might not be good at it, but you're going to get better than bad and learn. And also people will see you. Like if you want to think about growing the audience, that's fine. I've always assumed that like I was going to get one out of every five or one out of every 10 people. I was never playing for like, Hey, I want nine out of 10 people to like me. I was like, no, I'd much rather tell a joke that one person in the room laughs at, but they laugh for like the next three days. So staying with the John Prine analogy, um, you know, at some point you, you sold out to that record label. Uh, what what kind of went into that decision um, to go with, you know, really a long relationship with, with SB Nation where you not only brought the blog over, but ended up becoming editorial director over there too. So um, as you're, kind of have this mindset you're you're growing you're developing uh you have your your focus um you know at some point you do uh you know pony up and, and affiliate uh what went into that decision uh mostly simplification you know at the time there was you know i was making enough money but at the time it just looked like there was going to be a lot of consolidation it looked like a lot of small creators were probably going to get pushed out of the way and you get to the point where you go well i should either decide to start my own thing or I should sign up. And I didn't feel really capable of managing an entire business myself and trying to grow it and trying to write it and trying to do all the things I was doing at the time, you know, have kids, get a house, all that kind of stuff. It just, it felt like too much. So I went ahead and sold in and there were a lot of good things about that. You know, there were some things that like looking back, you would go, 
I might have done that differently. But um, on the whole, that's a really positive experience. I had a great 10 years with them, you know, uh, on the whole, if you look at the whole thing. I don't think when somebody goes, should I, if somebody at any point is like, should I take the big corporate job or do my own thing? I would always say, do your own thing first, which I did, you know, but if you have a good chance to work within a larger company, there can be a lot of really good things about it. I think uh, Alex Hirsch, who is the guy who um, did Gravity Falls, if you've ever watched Gravity Falls, uh, the creator, he was, you know, like a very indie kind of animator kind of dude who said that having a, like he compared Disney and I think any large company would do this. It's like being friends with a brontosaurus. You would rather be friends with the brontosaurus than not be friends with it. The brontosaurus could do a lot of really great things for you. And at the same time, sometimes it accidentally sits on you. Um, you know, when you were getting into that, I would say right around that 09 to 12 period, uh, you know, it seemed like SB Nation was growing, but also dipping their toes into a lot of stuff in that Vox universe, whether it was extension of video or localization. Um, you know, we had Shadi on from Bleacher Report, and it seemed like, you know, there was always this like running what we call the arms race between like SB Nation and Bleacher Report. Internally, was there ever that mentality? Like, who, who were you looking at? as your competitors as you were you know trying these different um these different approaches to delivering content well there was never any competing with bleacher report they they were a, an email list there was no way you're going to beat an email list there was no way you were going to beat people who are obviously just trying to like pile up data and sell it that was never really my gig as an editorial director and you know, I don't think we really looked to anyone because we were trying to figure out what to do and be our own thing. And if you're doing that, then the people that you're looking at or, com or competing with are, are not even sort of on the radar of sports. And I think that's really one of the things that we tried to do was to look at, look at things where we said, wow, that's cool. Let's do that. That was really the only motivation for most of what we did there, there was a lot of, you know, there were some things that you did to pay the bills, but on the whole, the idea was to kind of create some novelty. And if you could create novelty, then people would probably show up. And if you could create novelty, then the person who did it would probably have fun and would probably, and would probably like, I think if you could have fun and you could create novelty, people would show up. And the rest would allegedly take care of itself. I don't know. That's not, I don't think that's completely true, but I don't think it's completely false either. And how about the, uh, the relationship between Vox and SB Nation? It, was it really an extension? Was it something that sort of could sit on its own? Because I think there was a lot, lot of, um, you know, it seemed like a lot of merging intertwined uh, between the two. Uh, so where did, where did SB Nation sit into the whole Vox universe? Well, it was originally just SB Nation. And then Vox Media was created as like the umbrella company for uh, the for SB Nation, the team sites, and the Verge, which was the second property that Vox picked up, right, and created. Like the Verge was a, a lot of old, I believe, and gadget people came over and formed the backbone of what what would become and what is still. Uh, there are still a lot of people there, like Eli Patel, who's awesome, um, became the Verge. So Vox is really an outgrowth of of those two companies. It's the umbrella company, and then they started Vox.com. You know, which 
you know, ended up being the news property. And again, how, how did you feel that uh, once that growth and that that more bigger, diverse universe was there, um, the destination get lost a little bit, or uh, did it really kind of complement the rest of it nicely? I think I think that that the company's priorities changed, and as the company got bigger, and that happens that happens with every company. If there's growth, there's always always a lot of of change when it comes to when you get bigger than like 30 people when you get bigger than 30 people then you're going to start looking at a very different beast you're going to start looking at a lot of different priorities you know when you look at taking uh funding you know and having investors you're looking at a very very different beast and you know if you're in that kind of company it's not yours it's not you get to work for it and eventually you're going to end up working for something much bigger than the little thing you were a part of that'll change. And then you'll have to decide, you know, whether it's time to stay or go, you know, I think for anybody who's for anybody who makes stuff or for anybody who likes to just, you know, talk to people or, you know, communicate with people on the internet, there's a point where you really have to decide whether, you know, this thing is serving your purposes or not. And that there's always tension there. I don't think, and by the way, I think like if you're working for a company or working in any group of people, there's always compromise. Always. You're, you're not going to be happy with 100% of it. You might not be happy with 80% of it, but you have to find a way to make peace with that. Do I think SB Nation got lost in that? Um, it's a big company. They have a lot of plates to spin and they have a lot of different people trying to decide who should do what and what we are going to do and what our priorities are. And um, you're not, in, you know, ultimately you're not in control of that. You're not, that's, Hey, it's the lesson of the last year. You're not in control of a lot of that. Yeah. L- looking back, uh, you talked about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, the independents were getting gobbled up and, and swallowing. Um, and now today we were just talking about what was the word you used, Kyle diffusing, um, now that we're diffused, you know, so over, let's say the past 10 years, um, you know, are we in a better situation or we worse situation in terms of, you know, media, one, what we're putting out as creators and two, what we're consuming as consumers? I think we're in a better position. I really do, because there are ways now where you can instantly, you know, you can instantly try to monetize what you're doing. And I think in a pretty honest way, I, I think that, you know, if you can put a price on yourself and sell it, you can do that like a day. Like something that that's, that's awesome. You know, that's ultimately what I'm going to have to do uh, when you go, okay, well, where do I put some of the stuff that just doesn't really need to go anywhere? Well, I don't really want to make anything with the input of like 20 other people. I don't like, there are some things you could pitch freelance and go, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. But ultimately, if you want to make something kind of, you know, weird, different or extremely suited to your audience, you're just going to have to do it yourself. And I think that was a lot harder 10 years ago than it is now um i don't really tend to be super nostalgic about anything because i tend to remember exactly how everything sucked at every instant i like i have one of those people who like i have super sensory issues with remembering exactly how itchy a blanket was i'm one of those people who can remember you know hey i remember how bad that particular sandwich tasted in 1993 you know like i can remember to the nose, to the detail, how much it sucked. 
So when people are nostalgic for the old internet, I get that. It was like a very tight knit community and there really weren't a lot of people in it. So you can make something and, you know, 500 people would really enjoy it. And that's cool. I like the intimacy of that. I think there's ways to attain that intimacy now without necessarily sacrificing too much for the kind of scale, you know, like access. Scale is the wrong word because that's a money person's word, right? Like, oh, hey, we can scale that. It's good. We can sell it. Sick, bro. It's great. We'll take it to investors. No, what I mean is, is access. Like people can get to it. Or if you want to make it something that's fenced off, I think there's a, a real future in making things that are fenced off curated i think that there are you know on the internet there's endless real estate but there's also and like by default there's just endless access and maybe part of the novelty now will be fencing a bit of that off making it exclusive saying okay there's only this many people i think like anybody who's done tiered subscriptions knows that that if you have any kind of following that fifty dollar hundred dollar patron range it's real like that's very very real you start to understand why a company might just go well we should just make luxury suvs because <laughs> because they pay and if you know and if you make a good one people will keep buying it and you'll pretty much say well why am i going to mess with that compact sedan screw that i'm just going to do the big thing well, and, and I would guess, I mean, you, you have spent a lot of time, all this time in that editorial director role. I think, you know, writing things that entice people to become more of a subscriber to, to, you know, invest more time and, you know, in many cases, dollars versus writing things or trying to support an ad model has to be a, a easier slash much more desirable thing from a content creator standpoint. I, mean, I think it can be, you know, I, I hesitate to say anything absolutely, because I think if anyone is listening to this, I would say that, you know, there are no, there are no pat answers. There's only tools and you have to kind of figure out what works for you. You know, I think there are people who have made this work really, really well uh, on ad based models. I think there are people who have, uh, I think there are people who will need subscriptions. I think there are people who might realize that they're, that they're hobbyists. Like that's, there are people who go, okay, I'm actually happier doing this as a hobby, as a sideline and not charging for it at all. You know, that's, and, and that's, that's a hard answer to realize, but like, you might be that person. You might, you know, you have to, you have to consider, you have to consider the tools that you have and how to use them. That's a complex answer. It's a long way of me also saying that, you know, maybe I'll try this and it won't work. And that's fine. You know, if you say, Hey, it won't work. I, at least I learned, at least I learned for next time. You know, that's if you're going to take like the super long view for it. Do you, do you think, and this is almost a question for either of you guys, but do you think a lot of this, one of the things I'm looking at a lot, you know, with, with things like subscriptions, with things with just like the abundance of what's out there is, you know, especially in a subscription world, trying to manage all those subscriptions, how things can add up when there are, a lot of things I do want to be a patron of. Long story short, are, are we going to head back to the same sort of rebundling that we experienced back when, when sites like yours were getting snatched up? Just like, you know, I'm just curious where we're going to see more of the like bundled, what will end up being more served up in a subscription newsletter, or whatever it is product. But a lot of what we saw before of just consolidation against a different business model. 
Or do, you think, yeah. or do you think this is an independent wave that stays more independent than, than we did last time? No, I, I think things always think, things always contract because capital will be attracted to value. That is that that does not change. And if there's money to be made by bundling, and I think ultimately there will be. You know, I, I don't think Substack exists if that's not true. I don't think that, you know, Patreon exists if that's not true. So if there's money to be made by bundling or at least creating a channel for these kind of things, then um then then they wouldn't exist. So I think you get these things where, yeah, there's going to be contraction, there's going to be expansion, there's going to be contraction, there's going to be expansion. I think right now we're probably in an expansion phase to be followed by some contraction at this point. And that, by the way, that depends on, on your platform, you know, that like for video, if you are a, you know, YouTuber, or if you are a TikToker, you're really trying to make something of this, you know, you probably in a consolidation phase right now, because there really aren't too many places where you can put this out. Like right now, video streaming is very much still a place where you can get a lot of consolidation because it's so expensive to do. And, you know, I think at one point, that could become a lot cheaper. Like if there was a tech, like a lot of that's tech-based, but if like if there were a real tech revolution where streaming video became extremely cheap to do from the back end, then you would get, I think you would probably see a massive expansion phase. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, isn't that part of the Substack thing is just, it used to be costly and time consuming to set up a, some sort of subscription poor thing to be able to, to do that. And then it became really easy. And so, you know, you know I totally agree. Um, Don, I, I want to let you talk. I've been dominating the conversation. here. No, no, I, I enjoy it actually. <laughs> um, something that uh, Spencer mentioned, and I think it's, you know, uh, has to do with what we're talking about now uh, before we hopped on was about everybody having these grand visions, uh, you know, 2020, 2021. And okay, we're in this situation, but we can really take advantage of it, particularly online and as, as content creators, et cetera. You know, the one thing I've always admired about Spencer, and I guess I would say the freedom that he had with SB Nation and such, you know, two of my favorite things is one was the uh, shut, shut down fullback, which uh, I remember saying to Spencer, oh, it reminds me of Adult Swim. And you're like, oh, that's because we have an Adult Swim producer or somebody like <laughs> putting it together. Mm-hmm. Um, but just very cool vibe, different, awesome, the stuff that I'll, you know, watch at 10 o'clock at night when the rest of my house is sleeping, you know, talking college football. You know, the other thing I loved and, you know, I was fortunate to uh, p- play a small role in getting you into a 4th of July hot dog eating contest. Was it called The Amateur? Was it The Amateur? Yeah, what it was called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the amateur where Spencer would you know race cars and eat hot dogs against Kobayashi on on the Fourth of July. Just you know, cool, creative, different, unique stuff that really stood out. So you know, kind of getting back to to this year, um, I, you know, I've been saying from the beginning, it just seems like there's a lot more crap out there and not really different stuff that's really standing out. Has anybody that you've seen, you know, in this malaise that we've been through the last you know fourteen, sixteen months, um, really done anything that was breakthrough different that you've enjoyed that isn't just getting lost in the shuffle? I mean, part of that, the answer is going to be pretty skinty because part of that is, is based on, I enjoy things where people sort of get out and actually attempt things. And there hasn't been a lot of that just by design, you know, because people have been stuck inside. Um, I have really gone to, and one thing that I've watched a lot of over the last year are, video game streamers 
and you know video game youtubers because my kids watch them so you end up watching them and getting a real begrudging respect for some of them some of them of course are using what i would call the radio standard adolescent twerp voice that becomes very relatable on youtube to a 13 year old and that makes me want to put my fist to the wall and i can't listen to them like that's not there's just certain guys that come on and my son will go hey isn't this guy cool i'm like next no no and he knows now right first i was like what dad i'm like do you understand that guy sounds like an anxiety attack to me that guy sounds like somebody that i would hit in the face with the skateboard and go to jail over i can't stand the sound of this kid's voice but i've learned a lot about what they do and it's very very cool for me for somebody who has these like these are people who are so fluent in internetties that that they actually can kind of self-filter a lot of the toxicity out of it it's very interesting to watch a 15 or a 16 year old or, or even a 20 year old use a lot of terms of the most noxious kind of like 4chan community without any of the toxicity they've just completely whitewashed it and they're fluent in it and they can attract a broad audience while being like e9 bit edgy but never going over that line it is something that like it's very funny to me when somebody says like ah the toxic youtube community and i'm like well all right that's that's true there's a lot of bad out there but on the whole everybody realizes that like that doesn't sell right that that that, that brand of toxicity doesn't sell anymore right that's to me the kind of like PMRC panic based, like extremely out of touch tone that people take when they talk about those communities, because on the whole, those guys want people to come in. They want bigger numbers. They love that. They love the gamification of that. And that'll only take you so far. Like it's very, like there are people out there who do that, but on the whole, that's not the bulk of people doing it. So like, I think they're real cool. I, you know, he, he's at secret base, which is an SB nation kind of subsidiary spinoff, but Kofi Yeboah does a lot of really, really beautiful stuff um, for Secret Base and for SB Nation and on his own channel. Um, he's like a multi-platform dude who's absolutely brilliant. Um, I just did Tyler, I, I just did also podcast have been sort of a, a comfort food during this whole thing. And I've come to really appreciate just broad, expansive conversational podcasts that aren't NPR podcasts or that aren't, you know, hi. I went to Middlebury College and I say things like association when I say association because I'm from some dipshit mid-Atlantic school that teaches you how to talk like that, right? Like I I love open-ended conversational videos. I love niche like communities. I love like the Dale Earnhardt podcast. You listen to the Dale Earnhardt Jr. podcast? No, but we're going to have to add that to our, our list. We had some good NASCAR conversation a couple of weeks ago with Valet oh. Hilaire. So we'll, uh, oh, we'll get back into it. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Like that, like their business and Dale's business, it's great because I love anytime somebody can just open up and tell a story. And every single one of those people, every single one of those drivers, there's a two-parter with Dar- with Daryl Waltrip where you realize what a hellraiser Daryl Waltrip was. Daryl Waltrip. Daryl Waltrip like used to throw beer bottles at the cops in Owensboro, Kentucky, and be like, "Hey, follow me! Come on, let's go!" Like, like <laughs> he would just so they would chase. He rolled like there's a story about him. He tells the story. He rolled his car on the way to pick up his future wife for a date in high school. Like rolled his car with the cops chasing him Jesus. because, and then they, they tried to go on the date. Like, okay, hey, I made it. 
you know, that's why I like a lot of the wrestling podcasts too. Those like stories uh-huh. from, from the road, the same thing where they just kind of open up, like forget about what's happening in the ring. And there's just so much culture and like just stuff that goes around because you spend, you know, 300 days, you know, with the same people over and over and, you know, towns across the right. country. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's, I think there's a lot, like some of that's access, right? Like we're talking, we're not talking about a small, we're talking about Dale and Hurt, but I think there's something to, to be said for, if you can like for broader, looser kind of formats for those things, you know, like I, I, I love that. You know, I just did like a two hour podcast with Tyler. I am, <laughs> which was, which was unreal, but it was great. But like, it was, if I say it's a quick two hours, man, it was a quick two hours. It just went. Nice. Anything, anything jump out like from the athlete space, like everybody thought that they could just have their own channel, you know, the, the, you know, Dell's Dell, but, um, or juniors junior, I should say. Um, but you know, has, has anybody done anything in this time that we're like, Oh, okay. Or, or they're just kind of falling into the same old thing. I don't think, Oh, uh, what's the show with Chad? What's the sort of streaming show with the video show with Chad Johnson and, uh, the, the, the one down in uh more than an athlete is it that one? yeah okay. yeah no that's that 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 you can get some moments on that you can get some extremely uh funny moments on that because they they do they get off the rails so quickly and they're not they're okay with it right they're completely okay with being off the rails so i i think that's i think that's a good <laughs> example where athletes can do it i think earnhardt's i mean well, i'm tired right yeah now I'm, I'm laughing about Brandon Marshall going nuts about um, about the guaranteed contract clips that came out what, like a week or two ago. Where oh yeah, <laughs> where yeah, he yeah, just started. No, no, it, yeah, like, I, just like, started. please do, do not do not downplay Brandon Marshall's role in this lunacy, right? Like I know, <laughs> I know Ocho Cinco is the one you go ah that guy you got to watch him. No, 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 man. Like like Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall's gone off a couple of times in that show where you're like, well, life with him seems lively. Goodness, goodness. I, uh, I, one of my guys that works for my company now is a, a former college football running back, Vic and Wary from, uh, Cal. He was Cal, uh, Cal running back captain when, uh, Goff was there. Um, but he was saying, you know, the guy that seems to come out like looking the best out of that has been Fred Taylor. Like, you know, nobody really knew, you know, who or what he was about. And, uh, you know, he, everybody kind of goes nuts and Fred Taylor just kind of comes off as, as this cool professional dude that knows what he's talking about on there too. So can I just a word of praise for Fred Taylor, Fred Taylor has been like old school, cool since he was 18. He was at Florida at the same time I was. And Fred walked around like he was 50. And I mean that one, and that he always had enormous ice packs on both knees, right? For like, <laughs> and and two that Fred was just ice cold cool. If you saw him, like, and there's like, like imagine like dork ass me, right? Like smelling of weed and just like walking up the hill, right? And Fred's coming the other way, and I'm like, hi, Fred. And you know, Fred's like, what's up, man? Like he was always, he was always like down to talk and like really cool, and he has not changed a lick. Yeah, let's let's stay with college football, man. Like, what you know? Forget let's forget the professional stuff and the writing stuff and the editorial stuff. What as a, as a fan, what what have these last two seasons been like for you as a, as a guy watching? What's your impression? This season, I mean, this season was way weird. It was way way weird. You know, um, it was very weird watching people try to not not act like anything had to be different. You know, which is just stupid. 
It's just we have a lot of stupid people in charge of this thing. Like a lot of really stupid people. And I say a lot of really stupid people because no one's in charge of college football. There's no one person in charge of it. You know, my favorite thing is when somebody says, well, the NCAA needs to do something about this. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think we saw that and, you know, with, you know, the big 10 and the sec and who's, who's playing, who's not playing and, you know, who's really leading this charge, right. You know, one person, that's the right person, you know, dictates the direction though. Yeah, no, all, all you have to do is, all you have to do is, uh, all you have to do is, is try to, to do one thing as an influential college football player at this point. And chances are you can probably get it done because they're terrified of you. They're all absolutely terrified of what you can do with just a tweet or a smidge of a platform if you're a talented player. Now, I think you have to be one of the super talented ones because you have to be a thing of value to them in order to do that. But if Kylan Hill is on social media openly stating that the state of Mississippi should finally change their racist ass flag, well, guess what? That's going to push it a little bit further along. It will. You know, there's a lot of other things that have to happen, but that's not inconsequential. And it's not inconsequential for the worst possible reasons. Not because it would be the right thing to do, but because it would affect recruiting. That's that's the only, like, you're like, what do you care about? You're like, you care about your ability to get talent there. And frankly, the state of Mississippi has a serious image problem in keeping talented black athletes anyway, for very obvious reasons. So they'll just change it for recruiting. That's it. You know, like, I, <laughs> if you want, if anything has, like, this is local business, but like, if anything has to change in the South, don't ever make the case, well, the right thing to do would be, okay, well, if the right thing to do would be this, it would have happened a it'd while been ago. Done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it have been done, yeah. It really should have been done. Instead, you got to come at it ass backwards and go, what, what can I do? What can I really threaten of yours? What can I really, like, can I embarrass you? Can I take away some money? Yeah, your bottom That's line. Good. What's your bottom line going to look like if you don't yeah. if you don't do X, Y, and Z? So speaking of bottom yeah. lines and 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 the power and the influence of of the individual athletes, um, you know, what are you expecting, if anything, in, in recruiting, et cetera, uh, as this NIL stuff is coming down? The one argument that I've had is everything's been so top heavy. You know, I, I joke with Vic, like, yeah, if you weren't making money before NIL, you're probably not going to make a whole lot of money after NIL. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, football, basketball, great top tier players. But, you know, I'm a scout team player. How am I going to benefit from this? You know, at, for the sport, for the, you know, for the institution, I think it's, um, you know, probably overdue that something's being done, but you know, is the right thing being done and how's it going to affect the game? Uh, I think you're going to see a more exaggerated version of the thing you're already seeing, which is a lot of talent going to a very, a small slice of things. I think it might be slightly more diverse because right now in terms of the kind of patronage networks, and that's a good way to put it, is, you know, you have to think about, the patronage networks that get people to go to college for um, less than market value. Well, how do you sort of channel that market value around? Well, I give someone a job or this person gets a job, right? Like one classic scenario, just for anyone who's uninitiated in how college football works, is somebody gives a family member a job at the bottler, right? Like the local Coca-Cola bottler, I give you, you know, Hey, this person's in charge of this district now, or they're a driver who makes a hundred grand a year or something. Right. And that's how you funnel the money around of the sort of networks of patronage. Well, 
what is endorsement if not a network of patronage? That's literally where I say, hey, now you work for my company. Okay, well, that's not too different. But now we can do it in a variety of ways that we couldn't do before above board and legally and with real implications. One, for your attention span, I, you're going to need to learn up on taxes, son. You're, you're, going, to, you're going to have to learn uh, how to handle this money and, and at a slightly earlier age. And you're going to have to learn to handle it above board, which I think for athletes, that's good. Like that's, that's nothing but good. You don't want like the uncle taking cash under the table. You don't, right? You would prefer it to go through you. The uncle, the, the notorious stereotypical uncle who's going to be meddling in things or like the, the sort of bad agent parent, they're still going to be there no matter what. People are like, well, there's family members are going to take advantage of them. Hi, this is life. This is the you know, families are, families can do bad things and families are going to meddle anyway. You know, you're, they're already there the whole time. Um, I think what you're going to see is maybe a slight expansion of the teams that are in play to do this. So right now, 3%, 2% of all college football teams are really realistically eligible for a national title that might up to like 7%, maybe 8%. I think you can see like, we've seen this in college football before when there's been little shifts where a, a team with a determined core of boosters suddenly makes a team competitive. SMU, right? SMU ends up being competitive in the 80s because there's a bunch of real estate guys in Dallas who are like, woohoo, we're going to have a football team. And they just did it. And I think if you have a bunch of people who, or a business or a particular, or like some billionaire who's just like, yeah, I really want this team to be good, it can happen. The only one who can't do that is Phil Knight, as Andy Staples pointed out to me, because Phil Knight's business depends on having Nike on every school. He just can't go hard on Oregon. He just can't be like, yeah, like, I'm going to go ahead and do this. No, that'd be bad for business with everyone else. So I think you're going to see a slight diversification, slight. And how about the, uh, you know, the, the folks like uh, Urban Meyer, who seems to be making a cottage industry now out, out of advising on uh, these types of things. Uh, who's that good for? Uh, advising on... On what on NIL, they're starting these. They're starting these agencies, and I think he was he was one of the big ones um, that now will advise with schools on uh, how to uh, leverage slash negotiate slash take advantage of these new laws. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that with Urban um, <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Right. Um, like to me, it's this know. whole thing just seems like the rich getting richer, right? I, I'm trying to figure out, talk about that scalability. Like, how do we scale that? Like these athletes that we're supposedly taking care of really benefit from this. Yeah, I, I think there. I think in any situation where the money is where the money is going to come in, inevitably, I think you'll get like a 10 percent, 90 percent distribution, meaning 10 percent will get most of it, 90 percent will be like, "That's crazy. Let's work towards that." You know. And now, then we'll call this all a success, right? We'll call this total. We'll be like, now, now the money can flow and everyone can benefit. You're like 5% of the people are benefiting here, right? They're five. The, the, th the other thing I think of is like, this seems like a Title IX nightmare for somebody just waiting to happen because, again, the rich getting richer and the, and the women like, hey, what about us? <laughs> there's a lot I, of pitfalls that I don't think anybody's thought through. You know, there's probably, no, there's a lot of that, but like, there's a lot of like, there are more pitfalls to the system we have yeah, right no, now, true. you know, like that's, you're not, if somebody says, is this going to, you know, is this a good solution? I need you to just go ahead and get away from the idea of a good solution right now. There's something that is in principle wrong. 
and it will probably lead to a slightly less stupid situation. Okay. So if you can just work to get slightly less stupid or inequitable every single day, you'll be okay. If we can just work this right. I think there are, there are a lot of people who think that this is a really big fix. It's not a big fix. It's just a thing. And you're going to have to make something good out of it. That's what's going to have to happen. Speaking of making good out of it, I know we have to uh, get going pretty quickly, coming up on a hard stop for uh, us working men here. Um, you know, I think one of the other things we talked about community, but also the uh, stuff that you're doing now. Let's talk a little bit about this. But the people that you've brought with you and that you've collaborated with over the years is just a phenomenal crew. Um, you know, and and so talk about you know things like the Moon Crew, and uh, you know you had mentioned uh, the the charity ball. Um, you know, it seems like you've got this group, you've got this core group, uh, they're still with you, and now you're kind of turning the page and doing something new with them. Let's talk about what you're doing going forward. Yeah, I think you just, at this point, you have people you like working with, you know, like longtime collaborator of mine, Holly Anderson. You know, I love working with her, love to figure out a way to work in the future with her. You know, so we're working on that, work with her. Uh, as our perennial guest host on the shutdown full cast, Brian Nanny, also on the full cast, Jason Kirk, also on the full cast, the rest of the moon crew, which is Alex Kirchner, Richard Johnson. Um, you know, I, I, you know, and Stephen Godfrey and Brian Floyd, who are in Banner Society uh, and SB Nation. Um, you know, there are so many people that just I like hanging out with and are compelling creatively to me, you know, and I, I love. I love working with them, but like, I, I would also like to work with, you know, and work around people who, you know, haven't gotten their shot yet. I would really like to work with people who are on the come up and really don't know where to fit. That's really like, if you want to know, like, who's going to be really cool in five years and who's going to be doing interesting things, it's people right now who, you know, might hear this or someone else talking about what they've already done and are like, well, I, I'd really like to do that. But like, I feel so out of place. Well, that's a good start. If you feel out of place, that's an indicator that you could probably be a place. You're probably your own place, is what I'm saying. You know, sure. and I think I think moving forward, that's you know, I like I feel kind of out of sorts at the moment, just due to the fact that like I don't have one website that I consider home or you know, one place to put my writing. But that's a good sign because it means you're restless. It probably means you have your own gravity. You should just put down some roots. Let's put them on the outside game.com. What do you think, Kyle? We'll take them. Yeah. Just sure. as a charity, yeah. just as a charity, you know, we'll we'll take you if we must. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, lastly, you know, the one thing we do like to do is just get a perspective. You know, we we kind of took that early with that first blogs of balls, but you know, just the stuff that we've done together over the over the last couple of years. You know, what's been your impression of the events themselves? Um, they're always fun. Like they're fun. They're loose. I I think the. The great novelty in them is always getting people together and seeing what happens. You you end up with odd bedfellows. You end up with people who, uh, you end up with people who really you didn't think would get along or have interesting chemistry. They do, and I, I think like that's that's rare. You don't get the time or the space to do that. So I think that's that's the primary value to me is getting people together and watching them collide and seeing what happens. It's usually pretty positive, and then when it's not positive, you still might get something interesting. Well, speaking of which, we'll, we'll let the icing thing go because we have video uh, documentation of that thing. But the, the Jason McIntyre incident, it, it gets brought up quite a bit um, t 
tell us about that. Uh, Blogs of Balls 2 in Chicago, uh, Mark Sanchez, um, you know, 10 years later. <laughs> tell, tell us about it from your eyes. Oh, yeah. It's, a de- it's like a deeply unfair thing to do to somebody. Um, totally. <laughs> like, it's like a de- deeply unfair thing. It's a plan of fake item to go to great lengths. Not even that great lengths, though. It really didn't. Uh, and then to confront Jason McIntyre about it in person and be like, why did you run this thing that I made up? Which would have been really, really easy to do and easy to figure out that it wasn't real. And yet he he did not and just ran it. And to that, I go, well, it's really unfair because he's not very smart. And that was really not fair to do to a, per- a person who's not smart. And that's, by the way, like no slam. He's been very successful, but he's not very smart. and you should realize that that can happen too. If you're like, I don't know if I can do this and I'm not very smart. There are a lot of not very smart people who have made a good living doing this. Okay. Being smart can actually be a problem. All right. Um, Do I regret anything about that? No, no, not a thing. We don't, we all don't have to like each other. We don't. In fact, it's probably good. You know, He he doesn't like me and I don't like him or respect him and he doesn't respect me or like him. So, that happens in life, you know? Right, so I was waiting for, Oh yeah, we buried the hatchet, but no, not the case. Uh, no, no, no. no like I, I would love to just say this. All right. That dude is trash and he remains trash. Okay. And I'm trash, but I know it. So <laughs> like, like that's, that's fine. But like, no, I have, I have no regrets about that. I mean, what's he going to do? Fight me? <laughs> like, like right. what there's not there's nothing to be done about that it happened one oh and, and i will say i've never had nothing but a positive relationship with jason um so and uh you know we have been quite neutral uh at blogs with paul so i'm not copying anything out i try to get along with everyone um but again it gets brought up we kind of laugh about it it was an awkward situation uh, but that seems to be the the big recurring theme again we've done 20 of these now and uh you get mentioned quite a bit for those two memorable moments from uh from our early years in, in blogs of balls too um spencer thank you for uh, for jumping on uh thank you for uh you know just friendship and and uh you know, a little bit of trust and faith in us over the years to to do these things come out and have some fun appreciate you coming on now uh we'll definitely check you out on twitter link up what we can um but yeah man thank you and continued good luck success open invite to come right for us whenever you want not that we have much of a platform but you know it's yours if you want it appreciate it y'all thanks all right brother uh that was kyle bunch Spencer Hall, I'm Don Povia. Till next week, this is the OGs. Peace.